White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow, Carlton Fisk has put the White Sox ahead. On The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me, Hills, outside of Chicago. What a fantastic turn of events if you love the Chicago White Sox. And I'm falling in love by the breath. Hello and welcome back to Locked on Socks. I am Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. Follow me on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. Follow Chris Tannehill at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. And follow the show, Locked on Socks, at that Twitter location. How are you doing, Chris? Today is our Monday Mailbag Show. It is. How was your weekend, Herbie? Twas great. We did some good stuff. Uh, I think we knocked off two restaurants that we both wanted to go to. Actually, I've been to both of them. While we're at the restaurant on Saturday, which was Manny's, ah. Courtney said, this looks like a place that Chris Tannehill would like. Wait a minute. Literally <laughs> nah, said nah, that. Nah, nah, nah. You're kidding me. I was I was at Manny's on Friday night. <laughs> See? <laughs> I was actually going to ask you if you wanted to go because Friday night, um, me and our, our guy Jason Goff, we went to the Griselda Records show up at the P- Patio Theater in uh, Portage Park. Mm-hmm. But I met him at his spot. He was doing his ESPN radio gig uh, with Jeff Dickerson. He was doing uh, Spain and Company. Uh, so I went up there and I was like, all right, where's a place like in the South Loop that I can go eat and kill some time before I go catch up with uh, my man Jason Goff? And I went to Manny's and <laughs> I was there. It was it was not very crowded at all, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I was there and uh, had, a, had a nice beef brisket sandwich. And yeah, Courtney is correct. That is a place that uh, that I would like to. I don't get to enough because it's so out of the way for me. I used to go there a lot when I was at school at Columbia because it was relatively close to that, but I'm not close to them now at all. So whenever like I'm in the South Loop, I try to to, to, to touch down on them and have at least a, a corned beef or a pastrami. What did you guys have? I had, I think I just had the uh, Reuben sandwich, mm-hmm. and she had, I think, a pastrami with coleslaw. I forgot what it was called. I, it was called the specific name. I think it was called, I don't even want to try it. But she enjoyed it. She has half the sandwich left over, and of course... Manny's gives you way too much meat, and so I ate what I was on the sandwich on the bread, and I now I have a pile of corned beef at my house ready to be devoured by myself. Yourself, what did you do this weekend? Oh, man, other than that show on Friday, which was just an, an amazing time for all you hip-hop heads out there, you uh, you already know Griselda Records. Like It was quite a thing, man. Sold out patio theater. Jason and I had a good time. You know, It was just a great vibe, and plus it was ever important 18 and over show and i was at home in bed by midnight which is a big thing when you're 36 and and totally washed then of course last night wife and i had a little date night we don't get those too often we sent our kid uh, up to my my parents house spent the night with grandma and grandpa and we went out to gina and georgetti's out here in rosemont it's one of my favorite steak places at least the one downtown is they had a, a kitchen fire so they're kind of rebuilding everything now so I had to have one of those. So I went up there with her, had a lovely dinner. And then afterwards, we went to Zany's out there in Rosemont. And we saw 
one of the goats, uh, Nick DiPaolo, was there last night. Mm. So we laughed our asses off, had a great date night. I got a chance to meet Nick DiPaolo afterwards. He's a you know, big baseball fan, huge Red Sox fan. And it was just a, just a great weekend. It was like as a married guy with a kid, they don't make weekends like this uh, too often. You know, They don't make those anymore. So it was good stuff. Yeah, the weather co- cooperated oh, this week. beautiful. This is garage cleaning weather. It was so great. We did clean a little bit. We don't have a garage, but we did clean a little bit in our apartment. Episode number 27. Can I give you the people that are in the running for episode number 27. Before you do that, let's remind the Locked On Sox listeners that support for the Locked On White Sox podcast is brought to you by our friends at the Arizona Office of Tourism. This spring, you can follow the White Sox or whoever your favorite team is to beautiful Arizona, home of Cactus League Baseball. There's so much to offer in Arizona, home of 10 stadiums, 15 major league teams, and of course, those 75 degree temperatures, you know, we said it was warming up here. That's not going to last. It's March 1st. If you think that the bad stuff's behind us and you can start getting ready to treat in your lawn, think again. You're going to want to head out to Arizona and really squeeze every last bit of juice uh, <laughs> out of the warm weather before you come back and the real season starts. Um, it's just a great place to go. Uh, if you got a family like myself or you know, a significant other, great place to travel to. Cactus League action, of course, it's it's really great because it could be one of the best opportunities you have all season long to sort of get up and close and personal with your favorite players. Like the Sox were in Tempe today to take on the Angels, and I was, I was watching, and Mike Trout's out there, and when else are you going to get an opportunity to rub elbows with one of the all, literally one of the all-time greats in all of baseball? Um, just getting up close and personal with your favorite players. There's no better environment than going to see your favorite team in Arizona this spring. If you want maybe a little romantic getaway or if you're just a huge baseball fan and, and you want to absorb like the purest form of, of the game, uh, in my opinion, where it's you know not a lot of people around, not a lot of riffraff. You sort of see guys working on their craft. Um, Arizona has so many great things to offer as well. If you like craft breweries, they've got Four Peaks, Goldwater, and so many other craft breweries. I'm a beer guy myself, so my mouth is watering just thinking about it right now. If live music's your thing, Arizona's got you covered with that as well, with some of the best venues to keep the entertainment going, even after the final out is recorded. And if you love the outdoors, Mercy. Uh, Sox, they share a facility in Glendale with the Dodgers, of course, home of the great Camelback Mountain. It's one of the many things you can you can hike up and, and do. And they've got the Horseshoe Bend and, of course, Tucson as well. But time's running out. You know, we get this thing going in about three weeks, so don't wait a second any longer. Get yourself out to Arizona. See the Sox or whoever your favorite team is play in the Cactus League. And you can do that. Plan your spring training getaway today at visitarizona.com slash spring training. All right, episode 27. I think I know where you're going here, okay. but but let me take a shot at it. Let me take a stab at number 27 because mm-hmm. I think this one's pretty easy because of recent vintage. But are we going to go with uh, Lucas Giolito tonight for episode 27? I was thinking that, but also when we were doing episode number 26, we had a guy who was clutch for the 2005 World Series team. He was. A number 27 well, number 26, of course, was Orlando El Duque Hernandez. They know that. And if they don't know that, go back and listen to episode 26. Don't and miss a single episode. number 27 is a guy that was here only for half of the season. 
and he hit a home run in Game 3 that gave the White Sox a lead in the 14th inning. His name, of course, Blummer. Jeff Blum. Exactly. And I remember when the Sox acquired Jeff Blum, waiting for them to make that a great move at the deadline to sort of put themselves over the top and being mad. Like, Jeff Blum, this guy's a utility player. Like, I was, I was mad at the time. But that was, like, your first lesson baseball 101 of, like, you know – Sometimes when you have people that know what they're doing, like and you have a manager like Ozzie Guillen, and we mentioned him going to bat for acquiring El Duque, Orlando Hernandez. When you have a guy like Ozzie who knows baseball, by the way, it's it's borderline criminal that he doesn't have a managerial job in baseball, Ozzie Guillen. Damn straight. Um, but he goes and tells Kenny Williams, we just need one thing. We just need a guy, a, a utility player, pinch hit, has a good glove, throw him at the end of the game. We just need one guy like that. We're good. I mean – you love the confidence in your team. That tells all the other guys in your clubhouse as well, like, hey, we, we have enough. We'll just get a little reinforcement here. But that's one of those things, too. You never know who is going to end up contributing for your team when it matters the most. I remember during the the, uh, the stretch run in September of 05, there was a game in Detroit, and it was one of Jeff Blum's first appearances. He got, He was up there with the bases loaded. And I was like, all right, here we go. Like every game then, like in September of that year was just like, oh my God, how are they going to blow it again? Jeff Blum comes up with the bases loaded. I think it was nobody out in Detroit. And Detroit was not a good team that year, but the Sox needed to win badly. And Jeff Blum goes up there. This was actually probably the night before they clinched maybe. Jeff Blum gets up there and he grounds a soft grounder to back to the pitcher for I think it was a one two three double play to end the inning with the bases loaded and I was like Jeff Blum get off the team you'll never help us win anything ever <laughs> and of course he has one of the more iconic moments we're gonna say that a lot about the 05 team because when you've won one championship in, in two podcast hosts lifetime you're everything's gonna be iconic that was part of that 05 run but him hitting that home run late in that game and then blowing the kiss to his parents that were that were in the crowd is one of those things I'll never forget. So salute to Jeff Blum, Blummer, who's still, I believe, the uh, the Astros uh, color analyst. So he is. does a great job. Yeah. Others receiving votes, and Lucas Giolito would be the guy if it wasn't for Jeff Blum. I mean, he still might be the guy. Uh, Lucas Giolito, Deanna Navarro, Josh Fields, Carl Everett for one year, two thousand three. Uh, Chris Snowpeck. Ivan Calderon. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Ivan Calderon. Okay. I mean, we're going to get to Yermin Mercedes in a minute. This guy is like, he's like Ivan Calderon reincarnated uh, because Ivan is no longer with us. Have you ever seen that clip of Ivan Calderon climbing the wall at Old Tiger Stadium? I have not. You have not? All right. Well, definitely go on YouTube, check it out. I'll play the audio right here. But this was uh, January 27th, 1987. 1987, the Sox, like, sporting one of my favorite uniform looks of all time, the Chicago and cursive, sort of like they, they have now on the road unis, but this is like the navy blue, red, uh, on top of the gray. Yvonne Calderon off uh, Alan Trammell, he, scale, he literally climbs the wall at Old Tiger Stadium. There's like a little perch where you can sort of get some leverage. He stands on top of the wall. And robs a home run from Alan Trammell back in 1987. 28-year-old right-hander Nielsen delivers the good. Trammell hits a deep to left, going back Calderon, and the ball is caught. Oh, what a catch! I saw this one time before. Paul Blair for the final out. There is a ridge on top of that scoreboard right here. Calderon thinks the ball is gone. Then he jumps, scales the fence in the webbing. Unbelievable. Oh. 
I don't think Ricky Henderson in the 80s could match that amount of swag as Yvonne Calderon with the gold chains popping out, the, mm-hmm. the, the jerry curl underneath the cap, the beard. I think he had a, t- a couple of top buttons unbuttoned, climbing the wall at Old Tiger Stadium and snagging a home run away from Alan Trammell. It was one of those things that I didn't see until I was older. Like, But in now, but with the internet era, YouTube brings these things to life. So definitely check out that clip. So salute to Yvonne Calderon, who was murdered a few years back in Puerto Rico. So. Rest in peace, exactly. Alan Calderon. Yeah. Others receiving votes, Little Bulldog Greg Hibbert, and for the older folks, Ken Kravak who played with uh, this number for the longest a period of time, it looks like, in this modern era. But that is not what you called for. Episode number 27, of course, is Monday, and it is a mailbag Monday. Chris Tannehill, what do you got for us? All right, us? let's open up the bag. We'll open up the bag. All right, this is from Mike again. Mike Victor says, what's up, guys? After your means bomb, I can't help myself. Realistically or unrealistically, if you prefer, what can you expect from him offensively when he ends up? Oh, Mike says when he ends up making the team. Thank you, Mike, for checking in, asking about your mean Mercedes. What can we expect when when he's that 26 man on the roster, Herbie? I think you can expect just limited playing time from him. I'm probably 30 games at most with like 10 starts uh, when he's in there. Sands, in- if they don't have any injuries, he's barely going to play. He's going to get pitch hits maybe when Norman Mazzara is facing a tough lefty late in the game. But the problem is he can't go out and play right field. So then you got to go and tra- uh, change him out for something else or do a double switch where he's the catcher. Some say he can frame and he can do a good job, but you don't want to take out either uh, James McCann or my guy, yes, for Yermi Mercedes at the end of the game. This is only, you know, break glass for emergency. Late in the game, you need a pop, and Yermi's there for a facing a lefty. Probably 30 games hit every time he gets up there uh, in the 300s. Give you a good slugging, good on base, but I don't see a permanent position for Yermi Mercedes because they have good capture depth. And that's the position you can play. Maybe some first base, but also you have Abreu, you have Encarnacion, you have Yaz who can play first base, James McCann who can play first base. There's a lot of options before you get to Yermi Mercedes. I think he has to prove himself as a hitter in the league before he gets any type of attraction. I You would hope that he would get only 30 games on this team because that means injuries are not a thing. That means other players are doing their thing as far as Edwin Encarnacion, as far as uh, Yaz, as far as James McCann. And if he plays way too much, I think he will get exposed as a guy that might be a 4A player. Yeah, and that's one of the things you worry about with your mean is with the the sporadic playing time. Is like how does a young guy adapt at that? That could be one of the things that works out in his favor. He doesn't know any better. He's not a seasoned veteran that you know is that knows that he needs X amount of at bats or X amount of playing time to to be his most efficient. So that could be something that works out in the White Sox favor where he gets you know sporadic playing time, but he's ready to go. Because he's he's playing for his shot in the big league, so he's 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 going to be ready when you call on him. So one of those things to watch for, definitely. And I think you're going to see him make that team as we stand on March 1st. It certainly looks like because of injuries, because of performance by Nick Madrigal, I think you're going to see him on that roster. So I'm looking forward to it. Just even if he's a clubhouse presence type guy when he's not playing, that doesn't mean he can't 
add to what the team's doing and keep everyone loose, which is so important over a 162-game season. Uh, Moving on, 35th Street Slick says, I certainly don't feel now is the time, but when is the right time to trade catcher James McCann? Herbie? Wow. Um, I don't know if there's a huge amount of people lining up to get James McCann necessarily. I think everybody knows that James McCann is more of the guy that showed up in the second half than the guy that showed up in the first half. And he's going to have a walk year. He's was an all-star last year, and kudos to him for doing the job he did in the first half. But I don't know what the White Sox will get out of trading James McCann. And he doesn't seem like a a sore sport. He seems, you know, a little miffed that they went and got Yaz, but he doesn't seem like he's like, oh, man, this guy, he's terrible, and I'm an all-star catcher. No, he knows that Yasmani Grandal is better than him. He might yeah. be a little salty, but I don't think he's interrupting the clubhouse. He seems like a professional. I think he's a good soldier, You know, even though he was an all-star last year. But he remember, this is a guy that was basically left for dead by the Tigers. So yeah. I think he knows what the situation is. They pretty much they released him, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Tigers. he's got a chance to be a part of a winning team. I think that'll override anything else that goes on here but they, they've got to monitor this because if this is something where he you know let, let's say Yasmani's ready to go game one and the socks are rolling and he's hitting and everyone's happy and you know you don't want to like shoehorn uh you know James McCann into the lineup when you don't have to one of the things to watch for is Edwin Encarnacion's back injury he's got a little bit of a stiff back and, you know, I haven't heard much about his parrot. I hope his parrot's doing okay. Does the parrot have a stiff back as well? I'm sure there's some bird nerd out there like, well, actually, uh, birds don't have spines. Uh, they don't have spines, yeah. and their um, their epidermalness <laughs> is not hurt by yeah. back pain. Yeah, so maybe they can find some more bats for McCann early on because I do like the bat. That's another guy that gives you that lineup balance that I'm that I'm very much into is not swinging out of out of his shoes every time he's up there he's got a good approach game plans well you know I don't know how much Lucas Giolito is going to factor into him you know that's that's his guy like they they established a great rapport last year in that great 2019 campaign for from Giolito so it'll be one of the things to watch for there's a lot of variables here you know I, I think Zach Collins, I don't know what they're going to do with him. I, I'm thinking he's going to be at AAA because if he's, you know, he, he had a home run the other day, but they're going to want to keep getting him at bats. And I don't see consistent at bats for him in the current iteration of the White Sox roster. So I think McCann's going to get his at bats, rotating DH, late in the game. You know, I think he's going to get those at bats. So, but I, ultimately, I don't think he's going to play enough to boost up that trade value. You know, so it's kind of like a double-edged sword in that way. I don't think they're going to be able to get anything for him. I think you're better off holding on to him because you're not going to get what you're looking for. It's going to be marginal at best, but with injuries, he is a great guy to have that you can slide in there. Say something happens and Grandal's calf flares up again. Or something happens and you just need someone there to, to catch for a week or two while someone's on the DL, he's a perfect guy. So I wouldn't be so quick to trade him, Only, but mainly because they're not going to get anything uh, for a quote-unquote backup catcher at this point. So I agree. All right, moving on. This is Charles. He says, hi, guys. Great podcast. Thank you, Charles. <laughs> oh, it is, isn't it? Uh, if you could change one thing about Guaranteed Rate Field, what would it be? Also, what's your best memory there? Great question. Thank you, Charles. Um, one thing about 
guaranteed rate field, I would turn it the other way. So facing the city, you know, we discussed this in episode 25. When you go up to the upper deck and you see that Chicago sign and it has that nice backdrop of the city, the skyline of the city. Like, who the hell was planning this thing where they have the the outfield facing just like the the Dan Ryan and then the projects at the time? What the hell is that? So I would have turned it so the outfield in the background somewhere or would have had it in South Loop at the beginning. But whatever, it's at, it's where it's at right now. But facing that backdrop, because one of our best ballparks and two of my actually two of my favorite ballparks have the backdrop of the city's skyline behind it. That's PNC and that's Petco. So there's nothing more beautiful to see your city, especially Chicago skyline in the backdrop of a ballpark. The the Curtis Granderson field at UIC. Yeah. That's what it has. Yeah. Like that would be a big time recruiting tool. It's like, man, this is a beautiful thing of me playing baseball and I get to see these great buildings behind me, the Willis Tower, Sears Tower, and all these other buildings behind me. It's just a gorgeous setting. And then my favorite what is the favorite time at Best Memory there, yeah. Best memory at us. Probably my first game ever. It was me, my mom, my friend Devin, and my friend Jerry. I remember it was like 95. I had been a fan for a long time, hadn't afforded, can't afford tickets at, at all. And so my mom finally, you know, mustered up some money, took me and my two friends to the game. She wasn't a big fan, but she did it because she loved me and she wanted to expose me to the things that I'm liking. So we went to the game, had a fantastic time. And enjoyed, uh, uh, I don't think it was a White Sox winner, but it still was a good time. It was the old, you know, U.S. or at the time, Comiskey 2 ballpark. and it was Comiskey just, 2 Electric Boogaloo, I think it was the original name. Yeah, for for the youngsters that don't remember. Just regular antiseptic ballpark. And then one other time I can maybe say it was a, the similar thing. I think the White Sox were getting handled by the Blue Jays or something like that. It was a double-digit uh, run effort by the Blue Jays. We left like in the seventh inning, and while we're leaving, we get to see Scotty Pippen leaving for the players' uh, parking lot, and he signed an autographs, and we just said hi to Scotty. I think I was in my teens and then walked to the red line. It was good times. So that's provided a lot of uh, good excitement. I never went to any of the playoff games at uh, U.S. Cellular, Guaranteed Rate, Comiskey, any of those. Um, what would I change about Guaranteed Rate Field? I would actually – I, I agree with you in the regard that I would I would flip the stadium, uh, but I would flip it so it, it faces Pershing. <laughs> That's always one of my favorite <laughs> views. Of, I need to see more of the expressway, actually. Um, no, I would actually – I think there are minor complaints uh, about, about the G spot. One thing that always aggravates me to no end is the men's room and people who – Go in the outdoor oh. <laughs> and out the indoor. What's the? Why even have the door there? Why even have the possibility? I don't. Is that a health code? Do you have to have a door uh, on bathrooms in the city of Chicago? I bet you there's like you know there's like an empresario that that that, that owns door manufacturing and he's getting a kickback from having doors. But I don't see any point. Like you can only get hit in the face. Like we're beyond the point of having human beings would be able to acknowledge which is in, which is out. That's gone. That's yes. passes by. We're not capable of that as a species. And when people have to piss, it's, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. And what, just get rid of those, those in and outdoors because people aren't going to follow. I wish they would. This is my PSA. Was, follow the in outdoor uh, recommendations in order for you to have 
an ideal restroom experience going in the indoors usually that's right up there with making sure everything comes out okay so i would get rid of those damn doors because it's annoying there's nothing worse than you're about to go in and then someone's coming out and almost smacks you in the face you know dropping your bobbleheads <laughs> um and also i would uh, i would add ginger ale to the to the concession booths you can't get a ginger ale at, at, at pretty much any ball but you can barely get ginger ales at most restaurants but yeah i don't you know I, there are cokes which i think is I think that's Seagram's that supplies Coke. I could be wrong. I don't know who does. I prefer. I'm a Canada Dry man myself, but you love Drake. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm, yeah, exactly. Great. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not a big soda guy, but I do enjoy a ginger ale uh, if I'm going to have a carbonated beverage. So let's get some goddamn ginger ale in there for God's sakes, please. To settle your stomach, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, because when you have 17 sausage and pepper sandwiches, uh, you know. That's gonna happen. You're gonna need to sell that stomach, and then you wash it all down with the uh, with the ice cream helmet. <laughs> I don't know if it was the same in your family, but mostly, if your stomach was hurting, my mom, all the people I know who are black, uh, would just say, "Hey, drink some ginger ale or some Seven Up instead of your stomach." Yeah, I mean that's how I found out about it. You know, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a black thing, uh, but if that's a black contribution to the culture, thank you, black people, for <laughs> starting the ginger ale. I, I don't think it's a myth; it's real. I like I drink it when I do have an upset stomach, and I drink it just as a tasty beverage. So it works both ways. The extremely versatile ginger ale. Thank you, ginger ale and black folk. Yeah, um, and I think the ginger ale we're drinking had zero ginger in it. Oh, a lot no, of sugar. Very, yeah, very little. But I don't know what it is. It, might, it must have enough. It, maybe it's uh, one of those effects. Placebo? Yeah, exactly. Um, my best memory there, and this is funny, it involves someone we met this week, which was Bobby Jenks. Oh. We met Bobby Jenks at the Score Studios this week. He was there promoting a signing at Buffalo Wings and Rings. A giant of a man. Oh, my God. He's huge still. Um, he looks basically... A uh, little slightly heavier than when he than when he was out there pitching every day, but it's like as, as far as stature goes, the guy's a, a mountain of a man, and we each got our photos taken with him and making me look like a child. But uh, we met Bobby Jenks. He was at the station promoting this autograph appearance, and he wrote a great piece for the Players Tribune chronicling his struggles with addiction and if you haven't read that do yourself a favor and read it if you want to know what happened to Bobby Jenks and why he was out of baseball relatively soon uh, in his career check that out but my favorite U.S. Cellular memory was game one of the 2005 World Series just going there with my dad I think I've mentioned this before on a podcast going there with my dad seeing the first World Series game uh, in 50 years or whatever it was the first one since 59 he never got a chance to see a World Series game with his dad so, but I got to see one with my dad, and the the thing I'll always remember about that game, besides Juan Uribe hitting a home run, Juan Uribe was that moment where Ozzie Guillen signals to the bullpen, give me the tall, wide guy, and out comes Bobby Jenks. Now, I can't remember. Ozzie may have done it one or two times earlier before, but I'll I'll remember this one most because I was there in person to see him do it. Bobby Jenks comes on bottom of the eighth. I think it was strikes out Jeff Bagwell and the high fastball. Yeah, and then finishes off the Astros in the ninth. But it was just one of those electric moments to see him come in. Just seeing Bobby Jakes come into ball game in general back in those days. If you didn't get a chance to see it live, just he would come in, throw triple digits at you, and then he. But the, the sickest thing he would do is break you off with that twelve six curveball, and you had no chance up there with that curveball. Like it was like high eighties curveball. You know, just a buckler, and you had no chance up there against Bobby Jenks uh, when he was 
at 100% full throttle. I mean, just an, an amazing pitcher. Uh, just great stuff and a great presence and a real sweetheart of a guy as we got to see firsthand this week. So, Yeah, and it seems like I, during the interview, he and the White Sox changed his you know role. He was a starter with the Angels, and the White Sox said, no, 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 go down to double A. You're gonna be a you're gonna be a bullpen guy and a closer, so that's where you're gonna be most effective. So, kudos to the White Sox and Bobby Jenks for doing that. He he had a great White Sox career. Then I think what Boston and then pretty much fizzled out. Had the mental health issues well, uh, he that the, he was he dealing the, with the surgery. I guess that he had. You know, he had a bunch of surgeries with with the Red Sox, and then that he was struggling with 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 pain pills after that so yeah, that's that was kinda... half of the reason why he got on the white Sox is because of uh right alcohol and uh drug problems so yeah um good to have bobby jenks like we said sweetheart of a man gentle giant and it's good to see that he's on the other side i mean i know it's day by day thing but looks healthy looks good his family friends he's golfing a lot now and uh, I would love to see him more at the ballpark in the White Sox and have him more involved as, as an ambassador. I think maybe you will. I think this is like the first step towards that. So thank you, Charles, for a great question. Uh, moving on, Jordan and Schomburg writes, Hey, Herb and Chris, met Herb at the 108 event at Reggie's. Looking forward to going to a few games at the park this season. My question is, do you think Carson Fulmer being out of options makes the roster in the bullpen? Do you see young arms like Ian Hamilton or Zach Birdie taking the spot on opening day? Thank you, Jordan and Schomburg, for your question tonight. Herbie, where are you at with Carson Fulmer? I think he is on the team because of the reasons that Jordan um, mentioned there. He's a number eight overall draft pick they had. This is the one thing. If he was just some guy that was drafted 40th in the 40th round or something like that, he'll be long gone off this team. But they want to give him as much rope to hang himself. And sorry for the you know actual uh, imagery there. But they want to see what Carson Fulmer, they see a, a closer in there, a long reliever in there. I don't see it, but if the white Sox think that he's good enough to be in their bullpen more power to them i'm not a fan of what carson fulmer does and if zach birdie is ready you put him in that damn bullpen that guy's got filth he was going to come up the year he was i think he was drafted he was almost fast tracked up to the up to the white Sox. he was on the triple a team that year and i think he got the tommy john surgery so if zach birdie i think he's sitting 95 96 right now and he's regained some of that that fat, that velocity he had back in the day. It feels good, and if he is doing well on the on the team, I think he's going to do an outing this week uh, sometime during this week. Put him on the team. If that means we got to sacrifice Carson Fulmer and have him exposed to waivers, let's do it. Well, I think now, I, I think actually Carson Fulmer's uh, earning a spot, uh, as, as I see it right now, uh, on the 2020 roster, he's had a nice spring so far. Pull up the numbers here real quick on Carson Fulmer. So far, in three games, four and two-thirds innings pitch, he's got only a 1.93 ERA. And actually, as far as strikeouts go, he's got five strikeouts in the four and two-thirds innings. So he's had a nice spring. How many walks? Ooh, he had a few the other day, I think. Thought, um, yeah, he had three walks in that outing the other day. That was just in one outing. In the words of Coop, he had one bad inning, Chief. Um, but, but like you said, because he's the number one pick, he's he's automatically going to have 
sort of that leverage, okay? And if you want to get mad, go back and look at the 2015 draft, mm. and not even because of the guys that were that were selected, uh, you know, just before, like Andrew Benintendi, you know, Sox, Red Sox took him the pick before Carson Fulmer, so that's one of those things where had the Sox been all in on losing and not half-assing it, mm. maybe they could have got an Alex Bregman at the top of the draft or an Andrew Benintendi, um, but... Doug Lauman was allowed to mm-hmm. to participate in that draft in 2015, and then he got fired three months later, and Nick Hostetler came in. I don't understand. Like, I know you put in a lot of work, <laughs> but why? Like, it's not like they fired Doug Lauman at the end of the year. They fired him in August, and then all of a sudden they brought in Nick Hostetler. Did they fire him, or did they like give him a promotion well, that seemed like a firing? Well, no, he didn't go up. He didn't. Okay. He didn't fail upward. I don't think. But I, I don't even know if he's still with the organization. But they Probably. let him. They let him draft, and he drafts Carson Fulmer. Which, again, I know that everyone's got an opinion. Everybody's got a goddamn opinion. And everyone at the time said that this is a great pick coming out of Vanderbilt. That they 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 breed starting pitchers. Um, but later on in the draft, Sox could have had Walker Bueller, Mike Soroka. Uh, Ian Happ was selected right after Fulmer. You know, jury's still out. I think on Happ, we'll see what he does this year. Paul DeYoung was also in that draft much later on, but Fulmer retired all f- uh, five hitters he faced yesterday against Texas, and I think he's he's I think he's got himself a shot to make the roster. You know, uh, I, Birdie. I know you like Birdie. I do too. Uh, again, you can't have again with a 26 roster spot. You can have some flexibility here. Maybe you don't have to worry about carrying that extra bat maybe you like the way you are early on with the offense and and things are stacked in your favor and you can carry uh, an extra pitcher 13 or 14 pitchers maybe with the 26 spot so I'm not opposed to living in a world where each of them have a shot to make the team because I think if Carson Fulmer keeps stacking these uh, outings together he's going to find himself on the team he's a guy that sought his own independent help last year we thought last year was going to be the breakthrough season for him you know he went to drive line and, and got help but maybe that's one of those things where you know maybe he can lean on Lucas Giolito a little bit who was able to figure out the mental aspect of the game because with Fulmer it all goes back to the mental side he's got the stuff it's just a matter of putting it together uh, between the years and locating that stuff when he's out there so you know, with being out of options is tough. Um, you hate Sox have had so many bad number one draft picks. You hate to write off another one, but I think he's still, they're going to give him every every possible chance for him to write the ship. So, just a little house cleaning. Doug Lauman has not updated his LinkedIn. He still has his uh, official title as director of amateur scouting, which Nick Hostetler does now. Um, he's senior. How do you think Nick Hosteller feels when he sees that on LinkedIn? He's like, no, I'm the director of amateur scouting. Yeah, <laughs> if Nick, like, Nick Hosteller's trying to get a job somewhere, yeah. like that's going to look shaky. If you're, exactly. if you're an employer, I'm not going to know who to believe. So tighten that up. But according to the White Sox own website, senior advisor to scouting operations is Doug Lauman. So that is a bump, right? That's a bump See, down. Anytime, you can just add senior, senior advisor. Like That's basically like anytime you're not fired, That that's pretty much – He's probably making the same money. Yeah. He's like, probably just do, doing less work. <laughs> they just have a bunch of these senior coordinators, senior director, senior coordinator, senior something. Like, they just want to add these names that mean nothing. They have a huge staff, but um, nobody that's getting fired, though. You know, people always see, like, Nick Hostel that we are just talking about was the director of player development, wasn't he, last year? Or, like, the director of the minor yeah, leagues he got the a, draft? Yeah, he got a bump, yeah. And now Jury's still out. 
on, on his picks, but it certainly feels like uh, they're heading in the right direction as far as that goes. They're using much more analytics now uh, than they were, I, I think, when, when Lauman was at the helm. So, yeah, I mean. Ken Williams Jr. has a job. Special assignment yeah. baseball operations. That's it. That sounds like a, like a job that we could have. They just made that they, job Yeah, up. exactly. I mean, that's just creating a job. Which well, I'm, uh, my son, uh, he wants to be in the baseball. Let's put him in there. Yeah. He better stay out of our business. He better stay out of White Sox business. Moving on. This was possibly my favorite email of Mailbag Monday. This comes from Leonard. Now this is direct. This is not. This is just you. I want to read it. This is this is just for her. But I'm, I'm but I'm going to weigh in as I see fit, because that's what white people do when talking about black issues. So, Herbie, Tim Anderson's 2019 season was probably the greatest feat of black excellence since Jermaine Ty won the World Series MVP in 2005, and yet I have a hard time coming up with many more examples of our skin folk coming close. Honorable mention to Griffey in the 08 blackout game. Now. He says Pat from Beverly Voice. At first, I thought it said Patrick Beverly Voice when I read it the first time, <laughs> but he said Pat from Beverly Voice. So I'm assuming this is he wants to do a Chicago accent. I'll do that one. Now, I'm not trying to make it all about race. Like Seinfeld said, we basically root for laundry. But what do you think MLB can do better to get more African Americans developed into MLB ready? Talent. Oh, this is my favorite part, low key. Also, if you could please ask him to unblock me. I'm a huge fan of his and black. I'd appreciate it. He didn't. Say, I, I'm like. There's a lot of people mentioning this email. Yeah. Who, it's it, did Jerry Seinfeld block you on Twitter, or is it Tim Anderson, or is it Ken Griffey Jr.? Is it you, Tim? <laughs> did you block? Me? I don't block people. Yeah. I'll mute you, but I don't even do that that often. I'll only mute like those people that are aggressive trolls for trolls' sake. Like you can tell when someone's making up a mm-hmm. troll account, like just to get noticed. Like I don't amplify people like that on social media I, I wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't block the brother leonard leonard here on twitter so herbie you're the floor is yours says as the resident black of the podcast i am um brown but whatever <laughs> um what is the question the question is How, what what do you think mlb can do better to get more well first of all we got to break this down a little bit this is important for the community mm. uh he's saying that tim anderson it was the greatest feat of black excellence since jermaine die won the world series MVP, mvp in 05 i have a hard time arguing with that one. And then honorable mention to Ken Griffey Jr. in the 08 blackout game. I don't know if Ken Griffey Jr. in the 08 blackout game is black excellence. Is I that mean, he threw, <laughs> threw what? Who is that? Uh, Trevor Plouffe or no, Michael Kadire? Michael Kadire. It was a great oh. moment. AJ Pruszynski shows the, that he's got the baseball. Shows what the a dick move. It was a real Richard move, but I loved it. <laughs> because <laughs> certainly like he would have done that. to. Uh, he did do that to the Sox like, for many years leading up to that. So turnabout's fair play. So... 08 blackout game, Ken Griffey Jr. Black excellence, Herbie. I'm gonna. <laughs> um, the the black excellence since then was. Well, what about that? Is, does that qualify as black excellence? Yeah, throwing a guy out in a one hop. Yeah, uh, yeah, a <laughs> slow a game, game. Yeah, a slow guy. Yeah, it saved the game and made sure call, that they, they didn't uh, score that game. Can I call that black adequateness? <laughs> black all rightness. Yeah, black. Thank you very muchness. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I yeah I couldn't think of one, but all the floor is yours. I'll let you. Have you think? Get any more examples of uh, great African American players on the South Side since I mean, that era? I mean, the best we got to go with our guy. Would we both saw in Cleveland? Lastings Millage. Oh, White Sox for life. Got a raw deal. 
Last thing's Millage had a couple hits, I think, in opening day. He did. 20,010 20, 20, of our Lord. He got one hit. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was a double. Lastings Millage. And uh, on the board, they confused him for... <laughs> I'll never forget this. I forgot which black they were confused him for. Juan Pierre. Okay. Yeah. They, had, they had Juan Pierre's photo uh, with Lasting Millage's Met statistics. Um, and, you know, no one else noticed it. But we were there. That's why we you have to get out there and support your team on the road. Someone's got to speak truth to power here and, and know when they when they can't put the right African-American on the scoreboard. But Juan Pierre actually is a, is a good one. I loved watching Juan Pierre in a White Sox uniform. He was always one of my favorite players back to his Marlins days. Just the work ethic. If you'd get out there to a game, he was the first one out there stretching, getting ready. The hardest working player in that clubhouse. You know, didn't didn't have the most talent of anyone, but Juan Pierre was out there grinding every day, playing every day. Uh, you know, just being at the top of that lineup for some bad Sox teams. But he was he was fun fun player to watch for a lot of years, even as as a Cub as well. So, um, what can baseball do? better to get uh, more African-Americans developed into MLB-ready talent. I mean, but that's kind of loaded because Tim Anderson wasn't particularly MLB-ready talent no. when they drafted him. They kind of took a they took a shot with him. You it's know, a flyer. Small school, you know, former basketball player. You know, he wasn't, you know, he was a number one pick, but he wasn't like, you know, this guy is going to get fast-tracked and he's a no-doubter, you know. So what, what do you think baseball can do better? I think for most part, baseball and hockey and other sports like that are very expensive to play. Travel teams, bats, balls, cleats, all the things you have to play to have a baseball uh, have a baseball team to be yourself a baseball player. Nowadays, it's very exorbitant. I mean, my nephew played in his high school days. So he had to pay like $600 for a travel team. Like, I don't know if you guys could just have an extra $600 laying around, but I know my mom and my stepfather didn't have an extra $600 for me to play. And we're from Wheaton. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money, but we were better off than most people. So this is the conundrum of baseball, hockey, uh, other sports, soccer, uh, that costs a lot of money to play. Basketball is the preferred choice. Because it's easy. It's easier. You got a ball. You have shoes on. Let's ball. Let's yeah. hoop. Even as a kid, you know, I played little league when I was a kid. I was lucky enough to have my dad be uh, my little league coach. Um, but even as a kid, you would default to basketball because you know we grew up in the Jordan era. So it was in Rogers Park. Take a basketball. Get a milk crate. Bolt it to a power line. Uh, a power. You know, a pole out in the alley, and you could ball out. You know, like yeah. it is so much easier, and just. I think baseball is on the right track by marketing guys like Tim Anderson, even though they haven't really done anything to market him yet. He's marketing himself. But I think having guys out there in the forefront is a step. But MLB's had some great players, uh, great African-American players in my lifetime. I think of one of the favorites that I had was Torrey Hunter. I'm a guy that could do it all, and he'd make the highlight real plays seemingly every night, robbing home runs, and he was a great personality, great ambassador for the game. But, you know, people – the average person didn't know who Torrey Hunter was. You know, part of that was because he played with the Twins, and then later on in the Angels, he's on the West Coast, so he's playing late games. So, you know, they've had their, their they've had their chances, but I think now they finally have a chance to get some momentum going with guys like Tim Anderson. But they have to to put their money where their mouth is. You know, Rob Manfred's got his hands full with bad PR issues, and but also a lot of it's on Tim. He's got to back it up. He's got to have another great 2020 to show everyone that that it's for real. But you know, it's also it's not just an economical thing. I don't think it's also a generational thing. 
it's hard to get a group of nine of your buddies together and, and get out there and play a baseball game, especially in Chicago when the weather's only good a couple months a year. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something you can get out there and do and play every day. Like, you know, that's why I was in Little League because it was it had to be organized and it was not necessarily your friends coming to play with you on your team. It was kids from all over the place. But, you know, kids, they, you know, I hate to sound like an old man, but like, you know, there's the Fortnite's huge and they want to stay in and play games online and you know i was certainly part of that like i just kind of grew up in both eras where i was like the, the last of the play outside till the lights came on era and then into the modernized internet video game era so i remember seeing both of those things and kids much rather do that and you know baseball is just not that cool and it's also just hard to get a game together so there's it's, this is really a multi-layered problem i mean think about if you are a very talented athlete you play baseball football basketball and you're thinking about your pro prospects. Okay, basketball, if I'm one of the best players in high school, I spend one, two years in college, then I'm in the pros. Solid. I'm getting paid. I'm making real money. Cool. Football, one of the best players in football, I got to go to school for three years, then I can get drafted, be in the NFL after three years of college. Solid. Baseball, it's I'm best player in high school, I might get drafted. Also, they might draft me late because they don't know if I'm going to go to college. Then if I do get drafted out of high school, I can go and sit on a bus and get paid very little money because you see the salaries that they just had to up because they're making below minimum wage standards in most of these minor league camps. Or you got to go to college and get drafted after your third year and then still got to go on some bus tours. And then when you are ready... Somebody might be playing games with you and saying, hmm, well, seven is bigger than six, so sit down there for a month and a half, and then we'll bring you up. That doesn't happen in basketball. If you're the best player, you're playing, and usually you're starring. The young players are usually the stars of the league. So this is the problem with baseball in general. They need to up the money of a professional player in the minor leagues. They did a good job. But if they're going to track the best athletes out there, they need to have the incentives out there to say, okay, you come and play for our team and you're going to be a major league baseball player. This is white, black, anybody. You got to have the money that's going to be representative. I mean, when Yoan comes over here, he signs a multi-million dollar contract. Why does a Latino player get to sign a multi-million dollar contract like that? where a guy out of college, they do sign a contract, but it's not the same as Yoan. Yoan's set. He can stay down there in the minors and chill out for a little bit. Luis Robert can do the same. A guy out of college who's maybe a first or second round guy, he'll make some decent money. A signing bonus will be real. But then he's down there eating peanut butter sandwiches for a meal on single A, double A, and things like that. You need to have the incentive that says you are a great athlete and we want you playing baseball instead of playing football or basketball and this is how we're going to get you over here by increasing the salaries here making the the service time thing a the thing of the past with the 2021 CBA expires you have a new one where you're you're promoting people to get into your game and that's how you expand the game that's actually that's a really great point when you talk about raising that 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 signing bonus salary, it's, it's a point that I haven't heard often when you talk about this debate, but certainly something to think about. And baseball's got its problems there, but hopefully 
uh, Tim Anderson can put it together for another year and sort of get some positive momentum going. He's doing great work uh, in in Chicago with with working with the youth and kind of leading by example and, and showing them uh, that it, that it's cool to be a baseball player and, and he's giving back and and we hope he does it again in 2020. Uh, closing it out, Mailbag Monday. One final email. Getting back to my previous uh, you know topic about going out to Arizona. This one is very, very score-centric. Uh, he didn't address this to either one of us specifically, but Kyle writes, do you secretly enjoy when the whole show heads out of town for a week and you get the studio all to yourself? That's on you, Danny. That's <laughs> your question. I'm, yeah, it's just kind of funny that he didn't address it to anyone in particular, but I think my, my stance on that is, is, is well documented, uh, that I'm going to enjoy this week to the fullest. You know, I, I was not able to head out to Scorehouse. I was invited, uh, but sadly, it's just a bad time for me to get out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dad. I'm an active dad. Like, one of my favorite things that I do every day is get my daughter ready for school. You know, it's like it's one of those things, and – and I just I couldn't get out during the week. It's very tough, you know. And anyone with a with a kid doesn't want to put that undue pressure on their significant other when you have an active child uh, who's got a full day of school and got to do homework and all that good stuff. So I couldn't go. I was offered to go. It would be great. I think one of these years, it's definitely. It seems like it's going to be a tradition every year of Scorehouse in Arizona. Maybe next year for sure. Um, but yeah, I I enjoy it. Um, what basically it doesn't do a whole lot for me. What it but what it does is this: I get in every day about ten thirty. Uh, that's hopefully after a workout, which that's the first thing that I'm going to do this week is I'm going to try to get four days of workouts in because I have that extra time built in. Because really, what takes up a lot of the time is the pre-show meetings, and I work with Dan and Terry, the Boars and Bernstein for. Uh, a number of years and we never had one pre-show meeting we barely had an email about the show we were going to do that day it sort of it spoiled me in a lot of ways it thought you know taught me that oh that this is the way to go it's the only way to go but since then since working on the McNeil and Parkin show we do a lot more we do pre-show meetings every day with Mitch Rosen our great boss and everyone kind of brings their topics and I bring the sound to the table and you know, it's it's not one of the, the the favorite things that I do every day. Not because of the people that are in the meeting, but like I I deal with like I have like a lot of anxiety when it comes to these pre-show meetings because in in a way you're presenting yourself in these meetings and your ideas. So I always I, I have shitty self confidence. So I'm always like the things that I bring to the table are are you know it's not going to do anything for anyone. So or I'm just wasting my breath even talking right now. So that's why I like hate the meeting sometimes. You know, not because of anyone else, but because of my my own hang up. So you know. Getting that extra hour in the one o'clock hour where I don't have to do a pre-show meeting every day this week, it's going to be nice. And I should probably start planning on what I'm going to do before the week goes by in a flash and I didn't do anything with the extra time. But I think working out is going to be first and foremost because health is wealth in 2020, as I always say. I mean, my host is going to be back finally out of a vacation he had for about seven, six days. And we're going to have a great time. It's guest week for Lawrence Holmes show. But having the rest of those people out of there like you know i don't have beef with any of these people but it's also always a drag just people talking and oh you got to do this that and the other i do tape after i finish my shift with lawrence this week i do not have to do it it's the biggest relief off of my shoulders i'm not too big for any job but i feel that doing (laughs) tape 
is so damn tedious. I just sit in the room and just like listen. But it's important to because her like goddamn <laughs> Rick Renteria talk about some of the same shit every day. It's so irritating. And I got to resume that next week when whatever. But this week, nobody has to me about hey, did you get this in and that and this and this person that's, talked about this. By the way, that's u- that's usually me because like you know Herb's there you know cutting tape up during during our show in the afternoon drive, and I'm like. And I'm look, I'm trying to find content as the show's going on. I'm like afternoon drive is fast paced, and you're always looking to be on top of the next thing. You know, be on top of the next news story instead of just reacting to something that happened the night before. You know, it's already the afternoon, so you're trying to look ahead and preview the next things that people are going to be talking about that night. So it's, usually it's me uh, annoying the shit out of her, saying, "Hey, do you have this when this guy said this, and can you find this and that?" So, but, but you get to work alongside of me this week. Yeah, which I'm looking forward to this week. I am after I do the Lawrence Home Show, I get to be Shep. I get to just chill out and sit in the chair. I get to have a Herbie Lawrence sighting. Did you have a Herbie Lawrence sighting at all today? I did see him today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I get to chill out and not do tape and just listen to the show and enjoy them being in Arizona and me being in Chicago where the weather's beautiful and not as good as Arizona, but still. It's not as brutally cold as we've been having this winter. Yeah, it's going to be fun, though. It's going to be a fun week of shows from Scorehouse. And if anyone who's just a listener of the podcast and has no idea what we're talking about, you know, we work at 670 The Score. So listen all week as uh, as the shows will be out at Scorehouse in Arizona. It's basically a big frat house and a team-building exercise for, for our talent and producers. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the week, man. Change of pace is good for everyone. It's going to be great for those yeah, guys. no Shane. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be the best part. Freaking out about little here. stuff. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's going to bring his meat uh, to Arizona, and it's it's going to be a fun time, man. Then he'll bring some food, too? Yes, I see what you did there. But, yeah, I think uh, it, it'll be a fun, fun week for everyone involved, uh, not just the guys in Arizona. Don't worry about me. Everyone's asking, oh, are you mad that you're not going? They will be in White Sox camp on Tuesday, and I'm kind of looking forward to that. Finally. Because the guys were asking me, you know, I'm the resident Sox fan on the show, so they were asking me for good, you know, topics, guests to seek out. So be on the lookout for Tuesday on the score. Uh, they're going to be at Sox camp in Glendale and we're going to do shows and hopefully get some great Sox guests and Sox content and things like that. It's going to be very Soxy Tuesday. So I'm, I am I am jealous that I don't get to be out there for that because that's the, that's my thing right there. That would, that would Seeing the Sox play in, in Arizona and getting to, to talk to some of the Sox luminaries, players and coaches and, 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 and beat writers, that would, that would be fun. But maybe next year, and uh, hopefully if the Sox put together a winning season, maybe we'll spend a disproportionate amount of time uh, in Glendale as opposed to uh, Mesa at Sloan Park. So. There should be a, a makeup for me, you, and other people that don't get to go to Scorehouse. Should be like a... Michigan City, Indiana house. <laughs> like they just rent a house for the week, and we get to stay there and eat stuff and do its things or something. I don't know what Elm, the hell. Elmhurst house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With like, I'm not salty because Lawrence is not going, so it'd be weird if I went. So I don't even like Arizona necessarily that much in that regard, but I do enjoy going to those baseball games. There's nothing better to do. Than going to a baseball game out there in Arizona, I don't know what about the camaraderie with these guys. I knew I know them a little too much. I'm good. Yeah, I mean it's you know I, don't need I to talk to these guys day. more than I talk to my own wife and kid, and like you know who who needs to be on a plane with them? Man? Yeah, I'm there from <laughs> ten to six, so I see all of them. I see Bernstein McKnight. 
I see, of course, my host, Lawrence. I see uh, McNeil and Parkins, Shep, Tanny. Yeah. I don't want to work and then see these some bitches at the place <laughs> I'm about to go to sleep to for a whole week. I'm good. Yeah. I don't know if I could deal with that. Dude, the last face. Well, good for them, though. Yeah. The last face I see before I go to sleep is Danny Parkins. Nah, I, I, I can't have that. I love you, Danny. But... I mean, Herbie, I mean, you already got to do it on your podcast. What the hell? Stop talking shit about us. <laughs> So I think that about does it. Wow, what a what a what a deep long rendition of Mailbag Monday. So deep, put her butt to sleep tonight. Almost at an hour tonight, but nice. it's a fun. I like I like the participation. Hopefully, we, it's like this every Mailbag Monday. And if you want to send in your questions, it doesn't have to be as you just heard. It doesn't have to be just about baseball or socks baseball. Locked on socks at gmail That's locked on socks at gmail to to be a part of it. We like we like talking to you guys, man. This was fun stuff tonight. Very fun, and I appreciate all you guys. Uh, Jordan, um, who I met at the Reggie's party, it was good to talk to you. Mike, we met at the uh, was it Lunar a couple yeah. of weeks ago in Elmhurst. Come up and say what's up to us. And like we said, drinks or alcohol would be preferred if you do come and say hello to us. Do not put any roofies in it. We're roofie free guys, so just keep <laughs> it keep it real and order it from the bar and bring it over to us, and we'll have a nice conversation. So for Chris Tannehill, my name is Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this Mailbag Monday version of Locked on Socks.